Welcome to Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship with Pastor Jim Swigert. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study in this wonderful book of Colossians, Paul's instruction to that church there in Colossae in the first century. And as we've been seeing, we've had this awesome theme of newness, being new in Christ and being new in Christ. And we, uh, you know, that, that comes with um, great instructions. And we left off in verse uh, 17, which reads, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through Him. And we've clearly seen that... um, Hold on one second here. Technical difficulties. We've seen Paul, from the beginning of chapter 3, we get into the practical Christian life. And we know that in the practical Christian life, we're going to deal with other people. Amen? It's just a given. God has not called us into our little huddle in, in our own house to hibernate uh, before he would come to get his church. We're going to be around people. And it's kind of like as we come to this portion in chapter 3, it's like where the rubber meets the road. You know, because we've been given the instructions of, and the motivation, seek the things above, not things on the earth. And we, we've been given these, uh, you know, the phrase, put on. Put on the new clothes. Put off the old man, put on the new. And therefore, we put on these wonderful clothes that God has given us. And we looked at those last week, the tender mercies, the kindness, the humility, meekness, long-suffering. And then we are to have some attributes. And we know these attributes that we looked at Part of the clothing, a part of putting on Christ, we are to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, right? And then also, again, as I read verse, verse 17. So we come now to an awesome completion of Colossians chapter 3. But it's wonderful also, as I had a... a, a a conversation before the service, we're so glad that, um, you know, we're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 4 as well, because, you know, chapter uh, were given in the scriptures by man, and it's a good thing, as I was told, because women would be upset if I didn't include chapter or verse 1 of chapter 4. I'm so glad that people read ahead in the scriptures of what, we, what we're going to cover, and again, the rubber meets the road. And we're going to look at how God works in the family or how he wants us to work in the family. And it all is in connection with verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, it's our great privilege to be here this morning to give you praise, to to worship you, God, to come together as the body of Christ. We're so thankful for Uh, this congregation. We're so thankful for this meeting place. Most of all, Lord, we're we're thankful for you and all that you've done for us and how you have given us new life. 
And we'll also know, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is fresh every morning as we wake up and we see the days that we're living in. We see the struggles with mankind trying to live without God. But it doesn't matter. You've called us to live according to your purpose and your plans. And we thank you, God, that you're God that just doesn't save us and say, go try and do your best. You uh, equip us with the Holy Spirit. You empower us to live the life that you desire for us to live. And Lord, we know that even within the family, it can be difficult. Even in the workplace, it can be difficult. It's difficult being a parent. But Lord, by your grace and your mercy, we thank you for your instruction. Lord, I pray for each one of us here this morning that you would enlighten us, Lord. Remind us of these wonderful truths that you've given that we might walk closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So having this perspective of verse 17, we now come to verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So here we have a God-given responsibility to wives. Submit to your husband, which automatically brings us to the question, what does the word submit mean? And all the women are smiling here, some of you. Some of you are wondering what's going to be said next. That's why it's important to understand the biblical view of this word submit. Might be easier to think what submit doesn't mean. Submit here, again, from God in His Word, via His Spirit, as Paul was sharing with the church at Colossae. Submit does not mean the wife is inferior to the husband in any way. Men and women have been created in the image of God. Nor does it mean that the wife is to live in some kind of suppression or she can't speak or give counsel or has less value. And every time I go over these scriptures, I can't think of a time, and I'll share it with you because the guy and his wife's not here to, to do something to do harm to me. I'll never forget I, I, uh, pre-marriage counseling with the couple, and of course we get into Ephesians 5, which we'll look at in a moment. And that was re revolutionary for them and especially for the man. And I'll never forget, my ended up marrying them. They were, um, you know, they weren't in church. They weren't grounded. They were both non-believers. And I'll never forget, months down the road, officiating a football game, and he happened to be a football coach, and he yells from about halfway over the field, my wife's not submitting to me. I'm like, it was a waste of time, the whole pre-marriage counseling, right? He was joking. But that joking, you know, there's... There's a belief that submission from the wife to the man that doesn't come from God. And some men, we can have that mentality because it comes from the flesh. And we also need to remember the context in which Paul was sharing this. This wasn't a new thing for women at the time, but the motivation as fitting to the Lord, as we'll see, was certainly revolution. In that context or in that culture, men ruled their homes. Men, you know, the women were basically seen as property, and, and, and the husband owned them, and so men could do whatever they want as long as he provided a home and the demand on women to bear children. And so it wasn't in the same mindset as what Paul is saying here, submit to the husband. Just as in our country, 
voluntarily, you know, choosing to go into the military. It's the same mindset for the woman in, it's a voluntary thing to submit to the husband. In the same way, the woman marries the man and she places herself under the order of her husband. The order, I like to say, spiritual harmony in which God has created within the marriage relationship, within the uh, family relationship. I think of the school here. You think of there has to be some kind of harmony or order that takes place within a school system in order for things to function properly. And it's the same way in the family. God has ordained the man to be the spiritual leader of the home, and he has given this order that the wife submit to the husband. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. And we see clearly from the beginning that God has created this spiritual harmony or this order for man. Beginning of verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, there's a lot there just in that scripture. A true statement, man could not live alone. Man needs help. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taking, taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then what about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24? Parallel verse to what Paul was sharing to the church of Colossae. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So again, we see in these scriptures the design, the order that God has given for the husband to be head of the wife. And with that, the woman, the wife, to be subject to her husband. And with this, again, we have this spiritual harmony. And we see here in Ephesians, Jesus being the head of the church. We also see we can liken the wife to be Jesus to her husband. Jesus was submissive to the Father in all things. And really, we see this spiritual harmony, if you will, in the, in the, in the Trinity. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God having the Father, having the plan to create man and to reveal himself to man, giving man free will, having the plan, sending his Son to this earth for man to go to the cross for the sin of man, for that remedy for our sin, and Jesus submitting even to the point of the cross, submitting to the will of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit executing the Father's plan, executing His ministry. And it's interesting that when you think about Acts chapter 1-8, the ministry of the Holy Spirit empowering man to bear witness of Jesus. So in that, we see a picture of God within a woman submitting to her husband, again, be like Jesus. It's kind of like the title of this message in all these relationships that we're going to see. It isn't like God just said, okay, this is just the way it's going to be. Wife, submit to the husband because I say so. God never said anything without purpose and meaning. And there's harmony and order in this. So the wife, and there's been those that, uh, you know, it's like our wives are like the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit coming alongside the man to be helper. I think it's also important for us to understand, just as Paul's laying this out in, in Colossians, we go back to Ephesians before the submission verse, right? The wives submit to your own husbands. It really needs to be connected for us to understand the context and spiritually from verse 15 of Ephesians 5. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, submitting to one another in the fear of God. When, it, when God inspired wives submit to your own husbands, it's really in the context also as the husband submitting to the wife, submitting to one another. And it says here, as fitting in the Lord. Now, I do believe... Um, it brings remembrance, I guess, for us that the wife, as fitting to the Lord, as obedient to the Lord. If a husband is leading in such a way that is contrary to God and the things of God and giving instructions to the wife to do something that's contrary to the Lord, the, the wife is not, not under that to, to submit to her husband. But I think the deeper meaning here, as fitting to the Lord, speaks of telling us that the wife should always be relating to the husband as God's appointed leader in the marriage relationship because he's designed it. And the motivation is the, it's the Lord who is wanting the wife to live out who he's designed her to be. In the same way that the man would be living out who God designed him to be. And then there's harmony. Now we understand, where did the harmony get messed up? Well, Adam and Eve, 
both of them together. It wasn't just one. Both of them, when sin entered into the world, the harmony was broken. You look at today's world. What's wrong with marriages today? Christians and non-Christians. Well, there's a lack of this submission and a lack of loving the wife as Christ has loved the church. So we move on then to verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And Ephesians 5.25, we remember it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So this love is a agape love. It's God's unconditional love. It's laying down a life for another. Not necessarily just taking a bullet, though. That's not the mindset here. You know, the mindset here is sacrificial love, giving, holy, redemptive love, nourishing, cherishing, forgiving, cleansing, and sanctifying. And it's important to note, guys, that our love, this does not mean that it depends on what our wife says or doesn't say, what they do or what they don't do. The command is to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. Love your wives and do not be bitter to them. And so when God created the order of marriage, it wasn't that, Adam, hey, you're in charge. Eve, you're number two. No, it was, Adam, you are the spiritual leader of your home, not because you're smarter or wiser or more spiritual. It's because this is the way God's designed it. There has to be that harmony. When you look at marriages today, there's a lack of harmony, both in the church and outside the church. Of course, you bring in the whole everything else going on when it comes to man and woman and marriage and, and everything. It all is opposition to God. We understand that. But these are instructions are for you and I as, as believers. And again, the motivation is, Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And it's interesting here that it says, do not be bitter toward them. It's like, where does this come from? It's right away the flesh wants to justify the men. Where, where, where does this come from? I would never be bitter to my wife. How, you know, where's this coming from? Well, most likely, again, the husband can have a reaction when he's looking for love to be reciprocal. I mean, I love you and then expect something in return. That's not biblical love, and that is not what God is telling us here. This is how the man could be bitter towards the husband, or excuse me, the wife. Also vice versa. Having false expectations, or really expectations any other than outside what the Word of God gives. If I expect my husband to be the spirit... That didn't come out right. Um, if you expect your husband to be the spiritual leader of the home, to love you as Christ loved the church, the greatest thing you could do for your husband is to pray for him in this very way. It's the same way for the husband to, to fulfill the Lord's command and His design. If you want your wife to submit to you, pray that she would submit to you, but not in a fleshly way, not to do as you say, or don't try to love her with something coming back. Love her to 
because that's how Christ has loved us. And all of these relationships that we're look at, looking at as fitting to the Lord, do all things because it's pleasing to the Lord. Sincerity of the heart, fearing God. The motivation is Jesus and how he views us and what he's done for, for us. Expectations can get in the way. Because my expectations for my wife might not line up with God. I might have expectations that I want that are clearly not even able to be done by my wife. And it's the same way with the expectations for the man. Ultimately, we need to be praying for our spouses that they become everything that God wants them to become. And when that happens, the wife submits to the husband. And the husband loves his wife as Christ has loved the church. But without, you know, we don't have to say it, the foundation is, is Jesus. It's all centered on Jesus. That's this whole uh, chapter. It's all centered on Jesus and connected again with verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I love the fact we have some, a few teenagers in here. It's right here in the Bible. This is what God says. What? Jude went to the restroom. We'll, we'll read verse 20 when Jude comes back in. We will, trust me. The Greek word for obey implies a readiness to look upon and carry out a parental instruction. To hearken at the door, meaning you hear a knock on the door, you go to the door to see who's there. That's how a child should obey the parents. Now, obviously a parallel verse is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Again, this is harmony. This is order that God has designed. Motivation for children to obey their parents isn't going to be the because I told you so. Don't ask questions. It's, it's the right thing to do. Just do as I say. Does that, is that what we just read? No. And I tell you, when we do have that attitude with our children, it never goes well. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Again, we, this harmony connected to verse 17, obeying the Lord. It's interesting when you think about our kids and how they change over years. It, you know, when they, when they were young, you know, like a young adolescent, they, their mindset of parents is one thing. It's like, you know, the parents, they, they're pretty smart. They, they don't do much wrong. I, I love my parents. And, you know, they're the smartest people in the world. But that's only for a short period of time they think like that. And then when they become, you know, when they reach puberty, at this time, parents know a lot, but they don't know everything, right? 
And then in their teen years, it's uh, parents really don't know anything. And then their early 20s, they begin to think, well, you know, parents, they know more than what you thought. And then when they have children and become parents, it's like, wow, parents know everything. And so there's the cycle that takes place in a very small order of time. And as Tom mentioned in the announcements, it was a blessing to talk to the principal. I did get that text message from him with his name on there, and I'm like, uh-oh, this brings back memories, getting a, you know, a call from a principal. But... I love principal that Kyle from this from this school. He has he has a heart for what he does. He has a heart for his staff. He has a heart for the kids. He's blessed that a church meets on Sunday mornings at the school that he, he he's blessed to be the principal of. He also knows because he's a believer, knows the word of God, and he sees every day what the kids go through. And what kids go through today. Our kids have been robbed. They're being robbed. But we are to be the light. And I don't know about you, but I continue to grow as a parent. I continue to fail as a parent. I continue to have to call upon God to help me to be a parent. And it doesn't matter how old they are. They're always our children. Whether they're 2, 4, 14, 24, 30, it doesn't matter. They're, still, they're always going to be our children. And we're always going to need God's help and his wisdom. But you think about the kids. And that's why we, we love being here and love praying for the school. And we are trying so much to, to do whatever we can to get into the school. We were blessed this week. You know, we're able to put the prayer box now in the teacher's lounge. Because we want to pray for the teachers. You know, God can work in a public school as much as he can in the homeschool family. But you think about it, if you take all the, if, you, if everybody becomes homeschoolers and you take all the Christians out of the public school, what do you have? And so the teachers that are in the public school where they're, they're bound to certain ways and how they're able to teach and be a teacher anymore, it, it makes it rough. Because you're going to, at some point, it's going to cross over what you believe. And we need to pray for them. It's hard enough to having kids try to obey their parents. They have all these different things flooding their mind and their hearts as to is right. And you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture now, all through colleges, it's not about what your parents think. They're old-fashioned. We have progressed to this world that we live in today. It's not the same world. And you know what? That mindset has entered into the church. And it's entered into beliefs and doctrines. And before too long, you have all these things that have crept in, and the church doctrine isn't even a, an important thing anymore. That's why it's so important as parents, obviously praying for your children, but knowing what your children's listening to and hearing and all these things because it influences. And when the kids get influenced, because all of us, let's, we've got to agree to this, we've all been influenced. We're influenced even we're here today. We've been influenced that this is where God wants us to be. We're influenced by the word of God is truth. We're influenced, and our kids are having all these things come at them, and they're being influenced. You know, they're being told, you know, you just need, 
Hey, Jude, we want to read a verse real quick. Uh, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. But our kids are being, you know, you just need to be happy. You need to go on what you think and how you feel. And this is your right. We hear that a lot, don't we? You're right until, well, that would take us down another avenue. But life is really, our kids are being told, life is about you, your happiness, your desires. And at the same time, Satan's having a heyday with our young generation. The easy thing is to, well, just hunker down until Jesus comes. But we don't want to be that. We need to be praying for our church that young people come. And we need to be about going out and reaching the young people, doing Get out of the box, the church box, right? We need to go out and get them and, and not be so set on our own ways the way we even do things, but be thinking about the young generation. As parents and grandparents, we, we need to be remind our kids the reason why we tell them to obey their parents. And remind them and explain to them the spiritual order that we're just talking about right now why it's pleasing to God to be obedient as God has given us the privilege to be the authority in our children's lives. Again, this all connects to verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, of course, this certainly implies to fathers and mothers, but the Lord puts emphasis on the fathers. Fathers, you're the head of your family. You're the head of the wife. We're called not to provoke our children. Provoke meaning stimulating to anger or frustration. Needless irritation. Needless irritation. How does this happen? Well, it could be ways of making unreasonable demands on our children, maybe not listening to them, being inconsistent in dealing with them. We need to see our children as God sees them and to be Jesus to them. We're we're shepherds, dads. We're to be like Jesus, not only to our wife, but to our children. As parents, and especially the father, what a great responsibility we have to shape our children's views of who God is. That's difficult. We need God's help. Amen? Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's, it's training. It's a workout. Sometimes it's even wrestling. Training up a child in the way he should go. So we ultimately have the blessed opportunity to represent Jesus Christ to our children. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now, slavery was a huge part in the Roman Empire, over 60 million slaves in that empire. But it's important, as we know, The Bible never condones slavery. In fact, just the opposite happened with with the gospel, right? 
And so when Paul is giving this, uh, we can connect and make relevant for us the truth of, uh, you know, the relationship in the workplace as an employee and as an employer. Again, even in the workplace, there is a spiritual harmony that takes place. Somebody has to be the boss, right? There has to be a boss. Not everybody gets to be the boss. There's got to be an order. And so masters according to the flesh. This would include owners and foremans and supervisors. And they have these exhortations. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, meaning don't do a good job in the workplace just so men can see, so man can see you. Don't do it when somebody's looking just so you might receive notice, be noticed by folks. You work hard because you're working for the Lord. Jesus is your boss. He's your, he's your master, not to be men-pleasers, not scheming to fool the boss to make it look like you're busy. When, and, you know, I think the word integrity comes to mind. You know, believers should be the best workers anywhere, having integrity in the Lord, because we know that He is our boss, and He's also watching, right? <laughs> but we want to do good. We want to we honor God in the workplace. We want to give Him glory for our work ethic. We want to give Him glory for, for you know, and to do it heartily, to, to be excited about your job. Now, don't throw anything there. But there should be a, a joy about us when we represent God in the workplace. And I know, I know this group does. You pray for your coworkers. You desire to be a light in the midst of any darkness. And also in sincerity of heart, certainly, again, speaking of motivation, of working hard. And it says here, fearing God, working out of reverence for God. Your work is a reflection of God. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. These words would certainly be very encouraging in that culture, again, with, with slaves being you know, a bond servant to their master. You know, as a slave, being a, you know, a piece of property in a sense, there wouldn't be no inheritance. And so as Paul's saying here, and Paul's mindset isn't to focus on the slavery, he is showing that all man is created equal in the eyes of God. He's not promoting slavery. He's not dissing slavery. He's not, his focus is that man in Christ Man's created equal anyway, but in Christ, we're all equal. The master or the boss has no, uh, you know, the worker is not inferior to the boss. There's no social, we're all one in Christ. God is all, in, we're all in one. But for those hearing these words, they would recognize that there is inheritance from God in heaven. And that's a joy for all of us to understand that we have. Verse 25 says, which is interesting, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Interesting here, Paul's saying that God will show no partiality to anyone, the deeper meaning to the slaves because of the life that they've had. 
God shows no partiality in, in justice, punishment, or rewards. He shows no partiality. Verse 4 says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Just and fair. This is the mindset of employers. If you have people even under you, as if you're a supervisor, you're to treat them a certain way, just as Christ has treated you a certain way. Just and fair. You know, when we read all of this, again, connecting back to verse 17, connecting back that of what Christ has done for us, you know, the master, if Christ is master in heaven, then masters here on earth are going to look at the master and giving the bondservant or those who work for him to be just and fair. Again, the master or the boss, the employer, should look at those working for him or her as sheep, being a shepherd, being like Jesus to those that work for him or her. When you think about all of this, it really is about being Jesus. If we're being conformed to the image of God, we, we bear the name of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We read throughout Colossians chapter 3 that we have been renewed. We're, we're exhorted to put on new clothes. We're to have the attributes of Jesus, letting God, uh, His peace rule in our hearts, to have the Word of Christ dwell in us, and, and playing out in our action, our practical Christian life, doing Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're to be Jesus. Wives, to your husband, be Jesus. Husbands, to your wives, be Jesus. Children, be Jesus because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father even to the point of death. And then as workers in the workplace, we are to be Jesus, serving our master because that's whom we truly serve. That's a high task. The standard's very, very high. But that's the standard that God has given us. And I know that I just know when times when some of these scriptures that we look at, the enemy, even in church, wants to play with our minds and he wants to tell us of where we fail. Trust you. Trust me. I've had to ask the Lord to renew my mind even before teaching a passage because I know I need help to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. I need help in being Jesus to, to my son. We all need God's help in every one of these relationships. And you know what? When he reminds us of these things, he's not telling us you're a loser, you need to repent. Well, maybe you do, but his heart is that this is the design. This is the order that I have given. Trust in me, be empowered by me 
that you might lead well. And whatever part that you fit in these relationships, God's there to help. And so I thought maybe we'd take just a few minutes as a congregation to intentionally pray as the Spirit would lead us in these relationships. Most of all, asking God for His help. When you think about the world that we live in, you know, you hear those even outside of the Christian community, the major breakdown within our country is family, which right away makes us think, well, if God's given us the harmony for family, He's given us everything that we need, we obviously know the issue is man's relationship with God. But again, God is so full of grace and so full of mercy. And His mercies are new every morning. We're going to fail as husbands. Women, you are going to fail as wives. Children, you are going to fail you're going to let down your parents and you're going to sin against God. Fathers, you're not going to lead as you sometimes will provoke your children. Those who are in the workplace, you're going to let down your boss. You're going to not live with what, what we just read in the scriptures. Employers, those who have businesses and have those working for them, you're going to let down your employees at different times. My point in all this is, we need to trust in the Lord. Our world needs us. Our families needs us. The workplace in which you're at, they need you to be right. Like.